I'm Pastor Charles, one of the pastors here, and I just want to welcome you to our series that we've been continuing over the last several weeks, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and I'm really excited about what God has for us today. And in the series, we've been talking about being emotionally healthy, how important that is in our lives. Uh, Pastor has mentioned how that it seems that that is kind of a taboo subject that we don't talk a whole lot about. Uh, and yet we find as we look at scripture, as we look at our relationship with God, how very, very important emotionally healthiness is in our life. And so with that, we've kind of looked at this uh, aspect of the iceberg. You've seen it a lot over the last several weeks. And tonight, or today, just touching on that, where uh, the 10%, as I said in the first service, the 10% is our Walmart face. Uh, where we're out there, you know, and uh, it's kind of how we act then. But when we get to the point of our 90%, how many of you know that's what the kids see at home? And uh, who, at times, we really are. And recognizing how emotionally healthy am I in my life? And what should I do about that? Well, we all know that emotions are not perfect. How many of you have recognized that? As Sister Lauren was saying, sometimes we kind of feel like this, don't we? And we're flawed, but God wants to redeem them by partnering with us. And that's really kind of what this series has been about, is God partnering with us and saying, hey, this is what I want you to recognize uh, as an emotionally healthy, spiritual Christian. This is what I have for you. This is what I, I want for you. Week one, we talked about how uh, the, the problems that we have, the problems that are there to emotional unhealth. Week two, we talked about how that we must know ourselves in order to know God. Week three, we talked about how that we have to go back in order to go forward. What was so powerful out of that week in my life was that statement that it is impossible to be spiritually mature if we are emotionally immature. The two are in direct relation. And we're going to talk a little bit about that correlation today. But the fact of the matter is God wants us to not ignore our emotions. How many of you know he wants to redeem them? Thank God for that. And then we ran into the wall. Ran into Job, ran into the wall, and uh, perhaps you found yourself there. I have found myself there, clearly hitting the wall. I just didn't have a title for it. I didn't know what the moment was. It seemed like everything that I knew I was supposed to be doing wasn't working. How many of you know you pray to God, you try to confess every sin you can possibly think of, and it still feels like something's wrong? You hit the wall, and you, it's not a, an experience that you've witnessed before in your life. As we've heard from previous writers in centuries of the past, it is the dark night of the soul. But we've learned how that God has an answer to help lead us through the wall. And then we enlarged our soul through grief and loss last week. And one of the things that's just really, really gripped my spirit out of this was this statement that Pastor Josh made, and it was this. When the vacancy of grief and loss opens us up on the inside, that's when God comes rushing in. With that statement of, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many of you are glad that God is right here today? He's right here with us in this house today, not just as a group, but you individually. He's here with you, and he loves you. And then I want to take and make you aware of something that's coming up on October the 28th, our last session that we have in this series. Pastor Josh, Sister Lauren are going to be opening up and taking some questions. Uh, maybe as you've went through this series, you've thought to yourself a few times, I understand what's being said, and it's really been ministering to my heart and to my life, but 
if I had the opportunity to ask a couple of questions for clarification, I sure would love the opportunity to do that. Well, how many of you know today's your lucky day? October the 28th, coming up, Pastor Josh, Sister Lauren, will be taking questions. You can submit that on your Facebook page, or the, the Faith Community Facebook page, or at faithcommunity.co, and they'll take those questions and then begin to address several of those in the service on that particular day. As we transition into what we're beginning to discuss this morning, uh, up to this point, we have found ourselves wrestling with a lot of these issues that I have already mentioned here, and we found ourselves finding things that God wants us to work on, things that we need to correct, things that we need to adjust in our lives, dealt with some pretty difficult things. Today, as kind of the Holy Spirit has directed us, I'm going to flip that coin over today. And I'm going to go in the completely opposite direction for this series because I think that this is an important aspect that ties a lot of the other things that we've discussed together. And so I want to begin with this question for you today, and I'm legitimate about this question. And here it is. How does this sound for you today? A day off. Come on, yeah, go ahead. A snow day. Some are like, no, 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 not the snow, not yet. I'm not ready for that. A snow day. Permission to take a day off. No strings attached. Hang on. A day off, no strings attached. Yeah. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? In our culture, it's kind of an anti-cultural thing. We are geared towards going and going and going and moving and moving and moving. Janice and I have been, have, have attempted, been attempted at times just to declare our own holiday. <laughs> Call it whatever we want. I, I'll tell her when I wake up in the morning, you know, it's one of those days where you're like, ah, don't really feel like getting going. I thought, you know, I've rolled over and told her, say, hey, you know what? Why don't we just declare today a holiday? You okay with that? We'll call it something. I don't know what national, you know, skip breakfast day. I don't care what we call the holiday. Let's just call it whatever we want. My wife has a great theory about, about, about snow days, though, and I love this theory. Her theory about snow days is simply this. Why don't we just go ahead, and, and working through winter, let's just go ahead and have one day of eight foot of snow. Just get all the snow we're going to get. Let's just get it all in one day. Anybody for that? Let's just get all the snow we're going to get. Everybody's off that day. Get to bake cookies, have game day, you know, hang out with the kids. You can't go outside anyway. Eight foot of snow. How many of you know that's going to do something? And you're not going to drive anywhere. And it's just a snow day. And then the next day, everything melts away and winter's over. I love it. How about that? National snow day. There's our holiday title right there. We just call it whatever we want. Well, as we get serious about this morning, I want to use a phrase that I'm going to use a few times, and I really, really want to ask you to kind of latch into it and hear it, and it's this. I want to give you permission, and God wants to give you permission to have a day off, time off. Now, I, again, I know, I know, I know. We find ourselves wrestling with that the moment that it's released or the moment that it's said. But I want to focus today on our relationship with God. And there's a key element with this that we need to understand and know. Our goal is to become emotionally healthy in our lives so that we may be more spiritually healthy. 
To do that, we have to focus on growing our relationship with God. And in doing that, many of us are eager to develop our relationship with God. How many of you would say today, unequivocally, I want to draw, draw closer to God. I want to know God. I want to, I'm hungry for God. I want God to move into my life. I want to know the things of God. Can I encourage you to hear what I'm about to tell you this morning? We are often eager to develop our relationship with God, but there's usually two things that stand in the way. We can't seem to stop long enough to be with him. Anybody agree with that? Anybody agree, hey, my life is busy. I got calendars that give birth to calendars. (laughs) My life is busy. And I can clearly relate to you on that. I work about 60 hours a week, and I totally understand. I understand the work schedule. I understand the hectic. We have four kids. I said four kids. Four kids. Life is busy. We're either going to soccer practices. We don't have any of those. But we used to be games and all the things that are going on. And we even went and saw things that strangers were a part of. You know, it's just amazing how busy we get. But the reality of it is that we either seem to be uh, too busy to stop long enough to spend time with God, or when we aren't busy and we have a moment, because we uh, are not accustomed to this, we feel guilty because we feel like we're wasting time and not being productive. I feel like I should be doing something. And our lives seem, again, if we're not careful, our lives could become like a blizzard. Now, how many of you have ever been in a blizzard? Anybody from the northeast area know what I'm talking about when I say blizzard or from uh, the north area? Yes, absolutely. Several years ago, my, my family and I, before I was married, we went to Montana where I was born and grew up for about the first seven years of my life to visit my grandfather who was not, not doing well at the time. And on our way back, we got to Sheridan, Wyoming. And I, I was driving at the time, a 19-year-old behind the wheel in an area where they tell you that it's okay to drive 90 miles an hour. How many of you know I was living the dream? Pulled down into a gas station, shared in Wyoming. We get gas, and we pull back up on the interstate to go on down towards Denver that evening and ran right into what I had never witnessed before, a blizzard. Now, blizzards can be a very, very dangerous thing, so bad that you literally cannot see the hand sometimes in front of your face because the snow is blowing so hard. And at that particular point, uh, I decided, you know, I said, Dad, I don't think I can do this. And my dad was trying to get some rest to continue the leg of the drive a few hours later. And so my brother took the wheel, and, and my brother was about three years older than me, and so he was about 22, and he was driving, and he was having a very difficult time staying on the road as well. He said, Dad, I don't think I can do this. And so Dad said, pull over. And uh, my dad took the wheel, an experienced driver, even in blizzards, uh, had many, many, many drives in that kind of weather, was very accustomed to it. And took off driving, and it was so bad he couldn't drive in it. Now, how many of you know that's pretty bad? My father was very nervous because if you've ever been to Wyoming, you can literally go 60, 70 miles without even seeing a gas station. And we just, my dad said, we got to pray. So we pulled the car over for a brief moment, and we just started praying, God, you're going to have to open the path for us. We need a way. We need you to give us clarity and clear road as we move forward so that we can get through this without having to stop so that it's not dangerous for our family. Can I tell you that in about 10 minutes, the weather completely cleared. Moon came out. We had clear sailing all the way to Denver, Colorado. Amen? 
Hallelujah. One of the miracles I've witnessed in my life, God being incredible. They say that in the, uh, in the, in that area uh, of the country and in Canada, that farmers are literally trained by, uh, meteorologists and, and, and from farmer to farmer as it passes down from generation to generation to how to prepare for a blizzard. And one of the things they do to prepare for a blizzard is they will literally take ropes and they will tie them to the, to the central house and they will run those ropes out to the extremity buildings that are located on the property so that if they need to tend to horses or certain issues that may arise during the time of a blizzard, the rope is there to help them find their way back because literally you cannot see your hand again in front of your face. And how many of you know this is not something you want to go down and just buy a cheap rope from Walmart for? So you have to have quality rope. And in, and in that, the, the, the farmer learns to rely upon the rope so that when the weather is bad, he grabs the rope and literally pulls himself back to the house. Farmers have literally died few feet, three, four feet from the house because they became so disoriented, they didn't know which way they were going and they froze to death. How many of you know that our calendars in our life can sometimes feel like a blizzard? We can hit life and it gets really busy. I was riding over here today with my son and we were talking about the holidays. And how many of you know we are beginning to think about Thanksgiving and Christmas? And it is the most wonderful time of the year, but how many of you know it's also the busiest time of the year? And if we're not careful, everything begins to crowd in. And before we know it, we feel the life being busy and we get things kind of sucked out of us and we feel ourselves running on empty and we don't really know what to do. And God is saying this, I have a solution for you. I have a rope for you that keeps you emotionally healthy, emotionally uh, and spiritually healthy in the midst of very difficult times. And today I want to focus upon the, the rope that he has given us. And to define that rope for you, go with me for just a moment in your minds to Matthew chapter 7. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. But in this particular time, Jesus is giving a, the famous story. I remember singing it as a kid in children's church, giving us the familiar story of a wise man built his house upon a rock so that when the rains came and the floods came, the house stood firm. Foolish man built his house upon the sand, and we all know that the house went splat. Come on. And Jesus finished the story with this statement. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. God today has offered us a rope. Because we've all been in blizzards, we've all faced difficult times. He's given us a rope in our lives to to face the circumstances. Now, this rope that he gives us is dated back thousands of years. It's that reliable. It's that consistent in our lives. God wants us to realize that it's okay to take a day of rest. The Bible calls it, in ancient terms, it calls it a Sabbath. How important a Sabbath is in our lives. And again, it's kind of an anti-cultural thing for us. I get that. But I want to take for just a moment, first of all, let's look at this idea of rest. And I want to propose rest in two forms for you today, for you to consider. And you can, if you've got your little sheet and you're, you're filling things out, you can write this in. I want you to look at the weekly rest, and I want to look at the daily rest for a moment. And this idea of weekly rest starts all the way back to creation. Uh, I remember several months ago now, Pastor Josh going through a series, preaching a message. And on this particular message, it was all about rest. And if there was no one else in the building that needed to hear that message that day, 
This guy sitting on the chair absolutely needed to hear that message as God spoke two powerful things into my life. And here was the first one. The first day that man was created, his first day of waking up and enjoying life was, according to Scripture, a day of rest. Seventh day, the Bible says God rested. Man was created on the sixth day. On the seventh day, first full day, God rested. Could you imagine being your first full day of creation and God says, you get the day off. I just got started. You get the day off. And God instituted something there for us, a pattern, a rhythm for us to experience on our lives about every seven days. And this rhythm, he goes on to say, Pastor Josh goes on to say that he challenged us that God wants us to learn to work out of our rest instead of rest out of our work. Let me define that for a moment for you, what this looks like. How many of you have ever gotten a really good night's sleep? Somebody's like, yeah, back in June of 85, I think that's when it was, something like that. A really, really good day of rest. You know what it's like. You woke up from a really good day's, uh, good evening of sleep, and you, you have work ahead of you, life ahead of you, but you feel like that you're more prepared for it. You feel strengthened. You feel renewed. And in that, you're easier to cope with stressful situations. And then how many of you have ever had a day that was not so great, didn't rest very well? How many of you woke up going, dear God, it's morning? It's here already? Can't be here already. And it seems like things were harder to deal with when it came to stressful situations or circumstances or life or whatever the case may be. It's that idea that I want to take into this and in recognizing the importance of rest. God wants to teach us to learn to work out of our rest. That may seem initially impossible. In fact, it's not. It's absolutely possible. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, this is where we're going to take our, our passage this morning. God introduces this idea of rest to us by calling it a Sabbath, which literally means stop. Look at your neighbor today and just say, you need to stop. By asking us to stop in life once a week. He introduces the idea of, to his chosen people, but let me give you their, their backdrop. They had just spent the last 490 years as slaves in Egypt working seven days a week. And God says, you need to learn the importance of stopping. You need some time off. One day a week, stop. And here's what he says. Go with me, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. We see these words. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary week or work, but the seventh day is a, is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the sea, the earth, and everything in them. How many of you know he's going back to creation? Showing them what happened on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Consider what God is saying. A 24-hour period every seven days and deliberately, intentionally not engaging in work, instead engaging in the grace of God. Good morning. It's good to have you with us today. How many of you know that is so anti-cultural? Anybody agree with that? But I want you to notice how God delivers it. It is actually a command. He commands us to do this. Not because of his authority that he's trying to exert as much as 
He knows that our bodies were originally created and wired and designed to have a rhythm of rest. And he knows that that rhythm is every seven days. Every seven days, giving yourself, here's the phrase that we're going to get accustomed to today, permission, it's okay to take a day off, to take time off. Look at the familiar passage of Scripture. As you look at that, you recognize that God is telling us something through this passage of Scripture, a passage that we know very well. Psalm chapter 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Say the next phrase with me. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The very first verse we all know well, the Lord is our shepherd. How many of you know that we don't have to be in need of anything because God supplies what we need? But what we don't see is the message of a shepherd in the next verse. Because David wrote this and he understood the shepherd's life. He understands that sheep get antsy. How many of you have ever been antsy? Any worry warts in the house? God recognizes and relates to us often as sheep because we and our characteristics are similar. Sheep by a custom get antsy, whether it be the weather, inclement weather coming in or a predator close. They have the ability to sense those types of things. And if a shepherd can lead them to the most peaceful, quiet place on earth with water next to it, the greenest grass there is, and sheep will have a very difficult time at times laying down and doing what they need to do. And so the farmer, or, or the shepherd rather, will literally come up to the sheep, reach around them, grab them, and literally put them to the ground and hold them to cause them to lay down. How many of you have ever felt like God's had to do that with you? I have. When pastor preached this message on rest several months ago, that was the moment that the shepherd put his arms around me and said, Charles, it's time for you to get this. It's time for you to rest to learn the value of it in your life. Having said that, we see that he's, he does something when he brings us to this. He actually restores our soul. Consider for a moment that God has this plan for you to put you in a rhythm where he's continuously, rhythmically restoring your soul. And then let me take you now to the second part of this, and that is the, what I would label the daily Sabbath. Now, this is something a little new, perhaps a little more foreign to some, because we all know that about the seven day, we've heard about it a lot, but something to help keep us centered in our lives on a daily basis is what I want to label real quickly, this daily Sabbath. And it goes something like this. You wake up for work, you head off to work, so, or somewhere in your day, perhaps as you're wanting to draw closer to God, you spend time with God and you have a devotional time with God. You read scripture, you pray, you read a devotion, whatever the case may be, and then you go about your day. And yet so often by noon, how many of you know we really don't even remember what we discussed with God? And by the time you drive home, you've completely forgot it. And by bedtime, all you're thinking of is, you know, I just want to go to bed. And God seems to be somewhat distant until you wake up the next morning and you go through that cycle again. The daily rhythm of Sabbath comes along and it speaks the example of us to us through a life of an individual by the name, you probably haven't heard of him, but his name's Daniel. How many of you ever heard of Daniel in the lion's den? I know it's a new story. 
Daniel in the lion's den. Very familiar story that we all know. We've heard a lot of. There's this man who was cast into a den of lions and God saves him and protects him and he comes out of it unscathed because God's awesome, right? But what we don't may know, what we may not know is the story that leads up to that are Daniel was one of the highest magistrates, one of the highest government officials in the land of Babylon. He was probably a very, very well-known political figure. He was second to the king in a lot of ways. How many of you know he probably had a calendar? Google probably had nothing on him. He had a schedule like we probably have never witnessed, except for like a president where every five minutes is dictated by something. But Daniel learned the daily rhythm of Sabbath in his life, and we see it as the king was uh, was tricked into signing a decree by the, the lower magistrates. They came to him because they didn't like Daniel. They wanted him removed, and they didn't like the way he was serving. Basically, they wanted the power. And when they come to the king, they say, we've got this great idea. How about for the next 30 days, there's no one that worships any other god in the country but you, O king. How about you sign that into writing? And as, 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 as such... Uh, we know that the laws of the Medes and Persians, it, it's, it's solid. Nothing changes. King likes the idea, signs it into law. Daniel suddenly re- recognizes that his faith is put on the line. What does he do? The very day that the, the, the decree is signed, Daniel continues his daily rhythm. We see that he exits as he does every day at the same time. He goes up to his house. He opens the doors of his top room, extended towards Jerusalem because that's, where they, that's how they prayed in those days. And we see that three times a day, Scripture tells us Daniel prays to God. What is that? It's a daily rhythm. I'm not necessarily proposing three times to you, even though I've personally adopted that practice in my own life. Nine in the morning, noon, three in the afternoon. I take about five minutes, ten minutes, and I just pause. I go take a walk. I get a drink of water. I go out and look at the trees. I listen to nature. I just I listen to a song. Something in my life, I'm not trying to be weird, but something in my life I try to bring to cause me to stop and just refocus on God for a moment. Can I tell you that that practice has revolutionized my stress level? It's revolutionized the way I look at life. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed? I have days when my life is overwhelmed. I drive a bus with 60 kids on it. How many of you know your life can get overwhelmed? But God has given us rhythms in his word to help us find this. Having said that, we see that Daniel discovered the value of observing Sabbath in his daily life to keep God centered in his life. Now, how does this work? Secondly, real quickly, how does God's Sabbath actually help us? It sounds like a neat idea. I'm still not on board yet because you know what? I'm a busy person. I got a lot going on. Why would I want to institute this in my life? What's the value of it? Simple truth. Sabbath was offered to us by God to give us a way to deeply root ourselves in him. I want to say it up front. Sabbath is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. It's a trusting of God. When placed inside our current culture, Sabbath offers an an effective alternative to the fast pace of American life. And here's here's how it can help us. The first thing I want to mention here is rest. How Sabbath helps us is actually resting. We function the best, now I'm going to tie it all together. We function the best spiritually when we are functioning the best physically. 
We function the best emotionally when we function the best physically. Have you ever noticed it's hard to pray when you're sick? Have you ever noticed that it's hard to talk to God when you've got a stress level through the roof? It's hard to stay focused on spiritual things when we are drained physically, and it's hard to be emotionally adept and, and strengthened in handling circumstances of life or people because we know no one gets on our nerves. It's hard to do that when we are physically drained all the time. And God ties it all together by saying Sabbath is designed to renew you spiritually and it's designed to renew you emotionally by renewing you physically. And as you're physically strong, you open up the opportunity for you to be spiritually and emotionally strong. The second thing in this is to refocus. And this is where it's not only just taking and resting, but this is actually shifting our attention for just a moment, whether it's in the daily or the weekly Sabbath. It's taking and shifting our focus and our attention deliberately towards God. Let me show you what this looks like. How many of you have ever been to Chick-fil-A? Hallelujah for Chick-fil-A sauce. I could eat there seven times a day. As the song goes, Chick-fil-A in my book is totally a God thing. I think that in, in the reality, it is a total God thing because what we may not know is the company ethic. Did you know that Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday? Some of you are like, yes, I know because I can't go eat on Sunday. I need the sauce. But Chick-fil-A not being open on Sunday is a strategic thing. Did you know that per franchise, Chick-fil-A is the most lucrative franchise per franchise in America, even above McDonald's. I got the same reaction in the first service. Wow. But listen, I brought a little quick statement for you that I want to read, and I want you to see what their ethic is. Listen to it for a moment. According to Chick-fil-A's published ex published explanation, their closed on Sunday policy is both a reflection of the Christian foundations of the company and the belief that by giving every employee a day of rest to do with as they will, the company will attract quality people. A slightly longer explanation presented in a press release suggests that although the policy has an employee focus now, back when Kathy, who is, that's his last name, the owner of the company, when Kathy was just getting started, it was based more on Christian doctrine. He was determined not to deal with money on the Lord's Day. In other words, to not work. Whatever the initial motivation, however, was, the closed on Sunday policy as an employee benefit has been pointed to as an explanation for the remarkable success of the company, with customers reportedly telling staff that the food even tastes better on Monday. And then the article goes on to say, of course, that could have nothing to do with the fact that on Saturday before they leave, they change all the oil in the fryers. As I was thinking about this, this company and, and this business, something began to surface in my mind. By taking a step of faith and following the principles of God's word, how many of you know Chick-fil-A stepped out in faith in this aspect? Nobody else does this. But as a result, the favor of God is upon this company. I truly believe that. Not because they deserve it, but because they've honored God and his word. 
In other words, it's kind of like tithing. There's an act of faith, a refocusing that happens when we make a decision in our life to go anti-cultural when it comes to the way we live and making a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to give this a, I'm going to give this a whirl. What would happen if I made the decision that I'm going to take one day of week, and it really doesn't matter which day it is, seriously, the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. And making the decision in your life that I'm going to pick a day. Now, here's the way it looks for me. How many of you know that as a pastor, uh, Sunday's kind of an out day, right? Sister Lauren saying amen. How many of you know Sunday is big work day for us around here, right? Come on. So, you know, for a pastor, Sabbath is, that's really not a good Sabbath day. Yes, we observe it somewhat, but the reality of it is we set aside a, another day to do that because of its importance in our lives. Yesterday, my wife and I, that was kind of my Sabbath yesterday, my wife and I went thrift store shopping. And all the ladies said, and my wife found a hat. Now, my wife doesn't wear hats, but she was like a kid in a candy store. I am so excited about this hat. It has Proverbs 31 woman on it. Come on. It's pink. On the back it says Jesus. She, she, you thought she had hit the lottery. Man, I'm telling you what. She was so excited about that. I was excited for her. What was that? You know, it was just permission. Listen to what I'm telling you. Permission to do something you want to do. Permission to just take a break. Enjoy life. Now, the next thing on this, real quickly, is renewal. And with this is worship, putting things back in their proper places. Because you hear what I'm about to tell you. Having a time of rest doesn't mean anything if you don't put God in it. It's just a vacation. Taking 15 minutes is just 15 minutes. And it just gives you a breather to go back and hit the grind again if God's not put in it. So taking and renewing yourself, worship is the powerful tool to help you do that. Listening to worship music, taking and, 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 and spending a moment with God, renewing yourself, refocusing. This is what Sabbath is about. It's about keeping it holy. It's about placing the Lord first. And when we do that, watch what the shepherd does. He restores your soul. Now, someone may be here this morning and say, all right, I, I got it. But how do I do it? How do I practice the Sabbath in my life, whether it be daily for five moments or whether it be for a day in the week? How do, I, how do I do this? What I'm about to give you is not the foolproof plan, but it is a couple of quick elements that I want to leave you with this morning on how to take and practice the Sabbath in your life and what that may look like. Whether this is in the middle of the day or, or once a week, here are some things that I just want to encourage you this morning to latch onto in your life. The first one is this. Look at your neighbor and just say, stop right there. Stop. The first thing that you have to do when it comes to observing a Sabbath in your life is you literally have to do what it says. It's time to stop. At my desk, here's what it looks like. I'll be right back. Go out, walk the track. Hide on a bus. Listen to some music. Take and just read a devotion. Or just... Listen to the wind blow. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. Because here's where we hang up. I, I can't do that. You can't afford not to do that. And you may not know what you're doing to yourself to do that. 
pausing for just a moment and actually doing it. It involves trust. I don't know if this is going to work. It's going to work. Why do you know it's going to work? Because it's from God. He created us. He knows. Robert Barron, one of the theologians of the day, says this. He says, the essence of being in God's image is our ability. Like God, our ability to stop. We imitate God by stopping our work and resting because it's exactly what God did on the seventh day. He stopped working. We imitate his image. It literally is built into it. And when we know that every seven days there's a built-in stop, how many of you know that begins to create a rhythm in our lives? How many of you have ever looked forward to your next day off? Come on, I, I expected somebody to run the aisle shot in glory with this one. How many of you look forward to your next day off? Come on. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. If you know that it's coming every seven days, you can plan. You can go forward to get through a tough, a tough patch because you know a time of rest is coming. This will not happen on its own. How many of you know it has to be planned? But God says, create the rhythm in your life. It gives you something to look forward to. Even in my day now, with all the things going on, I look forward to 9, 12, and 3. I know I'm at least taking five minutes, and I'm going to go, and I'm just going to breathe. Now, I realize that that may not fit into your schedule, but whatever it does, adjust to that accordingly in your life, and it gives you something to look forward to. So stop. The second thing is this. Literally rest. Once we stop, turn things off. Stop doing something. Rest. At this point, we simply turn our minds to God and center our lives on him. It doesn't have to be profound. God, I welcome you into my day. I'm so glad you're here. I love you, Lord. Show me something that I need to know today. You know what that does to all your stresses? They go back in the box where they're supposed to be. I'm not saying they go away, but they go back down to the level in our minds because how many of you know God is all-powerful? God is God. He knows how to help us. He knows how to give us the answers that we need in our lives. The third thing I want to mention here quickly is to delight. Now, this one seems foreign to some because this is where we go, I don't know what to do. I got this time now, and I'm supposed to do something with it, but I don't know what to do. What do you do with time off? I'm not used to this. To delight literally means to have a sense of joy, wonder, play, play, completion, Here's a good list for you to consider. Any book readers in the house? If you like to read a good book, God's giving you permission to read a book. How many of you like to just sleep in? God's giving you permission to do that. <laughs> My kids aren't. <laughs> Elijah was up at 6 o'clock yesterday morning. He sleeps in until 7.30 any other day. But it's Saturday. We got things to do, places to go, and people to see. 6 a.m., Dad. It's learning in your life to recognize that it's okay to delight in something. How many of you like to bake and it's therapeutic for you? Do it. I love to bake. I love to cook. My wife's like, I wish you would do that a little more often. No, she doesn't really. I'm teasing. I love to be in the kitchen with her because for me, that's my stress reliever. I like to cut something up. Come on. 
beat something up with some meat or something, you know? That's stress relieving for me. Go after the grill or something. I love to do that. It's okay to do that. Whatever it is, but include God in what you're doing. Take some time. Realize that you have permission. And here's one that I want to include in that. Just silence. Find a spot that is your spot where you don't have to listen to anything and just let God have a moment. The last one is this. Contemplate. Whatever God shows you, whatever God speaks into your heart, take it to heart. Communicate with him. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Let that sink into your spirit. Let God show you that you, he has created this world for you to enjoy. And he wants you to do it. You have permission. 